0: A few years ago, the popular buzzword in the author world was tribe. Building a tribe of readers was seen as the key to success. And this can still be true for authors today. So why did the term tribe go out of fashion? Well, the problem was in the 20 teens, the place authors were building their tribes was Facebook. And once the algorithm changed and then changed again, many of those authors lost connection with their tribes and their tribes lost connection with each other. But having a tribe of readers is still an incredibly valuable asset, not just for selling your books, but for raising your profile amongst readers. But you need to know how and where to build a tribe if you want it to take off. But before we continue, I should explain the difference between a tribe, which is often known as a community outside of author world, and a platform. So a platform is you communicating with your readers and your readers communicating with you. It's a two-way conversation. Uh, Just about every author needs a platform that's not a negotiable, and you've heard me talk about it quite a bit. Uh, Community, on the other hand, is not just a conversation between you and your readers, it's also communication between each other, where they're talking to each other about you and about other things. You can think of this as the difference between a sermon and a church potluck. So when handled well, these communities can become a powerful and effective tool, and they're way more powerful than platform alone. But they can become a source of conflict and drama, or become an empty room of soul-crushing sorrow. So how do you start building a tribe, and where do you build that community? We'll find out in this episode of Novel Marketing, the longest-running book marketing podcast in the world. I'm Thomas Umstadt, Jr., CEO of Author Media, and this is a show for writers who want to build their platform, sell more books, and make a living writing books worth talking about. And we have a guest on the show today who is a community building expert. He is the co-founder of circle.so, an all-in-one community, and you've used it likely because circle.so is the power behind authormedia.social. So if you have an authormedia.social account, you've been using circle.so. Andrew Gutorsman, welcome to the novel marketing podcast. Thanks for having me. Been really looking forward to this. So why not just create a Facebook group? Why go through the hassle of building a community somewhere else? Well, if you really care about the experience that you're gonna
1: deliver to your readers, you know, you want control. And you might have this vision, right, for what this community experience is, the different interactions they're gonna have with each other. And in order to really provide the best version of that and and deliver on that experience, You need some flexibility, and with Facebook, you give up some of that. By the way, there's plenty of upsides to to Facebook groups, too.
0: Yeah, the nice thing about Facebook is that they're very easy to create. They're cheap, and it's easy to get people really quickly, right? You invite your friends and your core fans, and so you can have 50 people really fast. But in my experience, as Facebook groups get bigger, there's only one thread that all the posts are in, And as you have more and more posts to the group, those posts have to be of the general interest, (laughs) and and that's harder and harder to do as you have more people who are interested in different things, which means you have to police it more and more strictly, which creates lots of drama, because what is of the general interest and what is not of the general interest, right? fans have a different opinion than I do. And if you don't police it well, suddenly it gets filled with spam and with trolls. And the algorithm is now showing some posts to some people and other posts to other people. And like you said, you lose that control. And what's scary is that no one has that control. Even if you have a team of moderators, they don't have control because you've got this algorithm that you're wrestling with and you never know what people are seeing and what people are not seeing. And the other thing that you have to be aware of a Facebook is that many of the people you interact with on a Facebook group aren't human. (laughs) They're bots using GPT to generate posts and comments that feel very human and are sadly probably better typed and spelled than many of the actual humans, you know, typing on their phones with their thumbs. And you get this kind of very artificial interaction where you're not ever really sure if someone is a real person or not. A 100%. And imagine a
1: world where you have this really clear vision for each one of those interactions those members are going to have with you? How are they onboarded into that community? Do they see a really nice video of you welcoming them? Do they have this kind of like getting started checklist? Do you know exactly who you should connect them with? And can you automate that interaction so that you make that introduction? All those little moments, if you were to imagine, like what's the absolute best version of
0: it? You want to have that control. You want to be able to deliver. And what do you get on a Facebook group? The worst version of that. You get beat over the head with a whole bunch of rules because they're having to protect that one timeline. So there's like, here's what you're not allowed to do. Here's not what you're allowed to do. And oh, by the way, you have to wait to see if you can join or not. It's not very hospitable. It doesn't scale well. So it's okay to start there if you have to. But if you really want your community to take off, you want to move it somewhere else. And that can be Discord. For some authors, it could be Circle, which is what I did, but I just don't feel that Facebook scales in any kind of way. But there is another problem when it comes to moving off of Facebook, and it's what you could call the empty restaurant problem. And this was illuminated to me really clearly one time I was taking my grandmother out to eat. And there was this Italian restaurant that we wanted to go to, but there was like a line out the door. And she was hungry, I was hungry, we didn't go to want to go to the Italian restaurant. And there was some other kind of restaurant next door. And so we're like, let's go here instead. And it was some kind of exotic food. It wasn't super exotic, but for my 91-year-old grandmother, it was not what she was used to eating. It wasn't the Italian food she was expecting. So we go into the restaurant, and there is not a single patron at any of the tables. Oh, no. And she gets so nervous that this is not good food that she's like, I want to go wait in the line for the crowded Italian restaurant. And I I felt really bad for this restaurant because they were great people and I was very excited to eat there. But I understood, right? She's assuming, oh, this place must not be any good because there's no one else here. And she left. And the problem is is that becomes self-reinforcing, right? So when you're starting a community, how do you solve that empty restaurant problem? You know that's the biggest worry everybody has
1: is like, what if I start this thing and it's a ghost town? And if you think about it, it's really a vulnerable position to put yourself in. You're really putting yourself out there. You're saying, hey, I'm gonna create this thing. I want you to join it. You're gonna get value from it. Oh, by the way, you're one of the first people to join it. It doesn't exist yet. And I think a lot of us, our instinct is to go out there and maybe pretend like it's something bigger than it's not. But actually, if you don't have a community yet, in some ways, you have a huge unfair advantage because you can actually give a lot more value to those members. So if you're just getting started, what we always recommend is to take some of that pressure off of yourself. We have this concept that we always refer to, which is signature gatherings, right? Really what your community is, is it's a combination of people who are all on a mission in a world where you're an author and you have followers. They're there to talk about your work and to connect with each other over common interests. And, and so you might have a few signature gatherings. Now, those signature gatherings, that could be anything from a weekly get-together where we talk about something that happened or we give feedback to each other, or it can be maybe I released a new chapter of my book and we're all gonna talk about it this week or whatever it is. Maybe I'm gonna do a launch of my book and there's like a launch group or something, whatever. But there's are signature gatherings, things that we're bringing people into the community for at a scheduled time. And if you go out at the beginning and you just focus on doing those two or three signature gatherings really well, and you say, hey, we have these two or three signature gatherings. This is all the community is going to be. We're looking for our first 20 to 30 founding members. It's a great way to start. It takes the pressure off and you say, hey, we're going to build this thing together. And all of a sudden, the pressure is lower you can really deliver on the two to three kind of like core value props of your community. You don't need people to hang out there all day, every day, right? Which is kind of unreasonable. It happens sometimes, but in most communities, people don't hang out there all day, every day. You bring them in for the two to three signature gatherings. That's how you approach it.
0: What I love about this is that it's just like in real life. So one of the things about community building is that we think, oh, because it's on the internet, all the rules are different. (laughs) That's not the case. People are the same. The things that they're wanting from community are the same, right? If you drive by a church on your way to work on Monday morning and there's no one in the parking lot, you're not thinking to yourself, oh, that church must be dead. No one goes there. No, because people don't go to church on Monday morning. The time the church is full is on Sunday morning, right? That's when you're expect to be at a church. The building is full of people. And if you don't set that expectation that people spend their time here 24-7, it takes that pressure off of you. And I think this is also really helpful because there's a fear of, oh, I don't want to manage my community 24-7 because it can be a big burden of, of managing it. And so having kind of scheduled times where we're gonna hang out, which, you know, obviously around a book launch is a good scheduled time. You can also do it around a gathering where you're interviewing a fellow author or you have a fellow author come and hang out for a period of time and do an AMA that's in a same genre. I think if you're doing fiction, if you wanna do a tribe, you can't really do it about you unless you're writing a book every few months. Most authors don't have enough books to have a community that's just about them. And they'll be much more happy and they'll have a more vibrant tribe if this is the dragon writers community, right? That you run as a dragon writer author, but you also invite all the other dragon writer authors to either hang out for short periods of time or to have their own space there and have a big tent, as they say in politics, right? And it makes it uh, more welcoming. And if you have it on your genre, now you can have a, hey, we're going to have a discussion of movie in our genre, right? A dragon writing movie just came out, so we're all going to discuss it, right? We'll have the speculation hangout on Thursday before we've seen the movie, and then on Saturday we'll have the spoiler conversation. So don't come if you haven't seen the movie. So Yes, you know, brainstorm how you can make this work. It's not going to be like what I do with AuthorMedia.Social where my signature events are typically tied with courses and I'm training, right? We have a big course and you have to go post your homework to the community publicly so everyone else can comment on it. That's magic, right? People love getting feedback on their homework and it constantly, as people work through the material, they're going back to the community you're writing fiction, that's not going to work for you, but you can come up with ideas to bring them in. And then it feels like a full restaurant because everyone's there at the same time. I really love that way of thinking about it. A hundred percent. And some of these things are gatherings are more valuable than others, right? And some of them are
1: really like their signature, signature gatherings. Like they're like the most valuable ones. And the feedback is often incredibly valuable.
0: And it doesn't have to be big to be vibrant. Once you go past 150, there's something magic about that number. It's called Dunbar's number, if you want to Google it. There's a lot of social science around the number of 150. Most churches don't get bigger than 150. Most tribes around the world uh, don't get much bigger than 150. Then they'll split into multiple tribes. Uh, The Roman cohort was maxed out at uh, 150. The typical wedding is 300 people minus the overlap of of their social circles. <laughs> the, the typical funerals, 150 minus however many people have died. <laughs> this is like a lot of things where psychologically we can't handle much more than 150 people in a social network. And obviously you can have a community over 150, but the complexity goes up at 150. So you're like, I only have 50 people. But if you have 50 passionate members of your community who are your beta readers, and they're on your launch team, and they're helping promote, and this is where they get to hang out with you. And the reward for being on your launch team and for being a beta reader is that exclusive access to you as an author, which I realized, you know, you put your pants on one leg at a time like every other human, but your readers see you as something a little bit different. You're a little bit special in their eyes. And one way that you can help solve that Empty bar problem other than like having scheduled hangout times, I would say, is having conversation starter posts where you're posting questions to get conversations started or you're posting content, right? You're sharing exclusive updates, right? Maybe you don't want to talk about your family on your email newsletter. But you do want to share it with your community, the the smaller, more intimate community. And you're like, hey, I'm behind on my writing because my kid has a cold and I was up all night with a vomiting child. And you're right, that's where you post it. And people are like, oh, I'm not, my kid has the same cold or whatever. But any kind of conversation starter like that can help. And another tactic I've learned through um, hard use, because I've been doing communities online since 2001, is when you first get a platform like Discord or Circle, you can add spaces for topics, and it's really easy to create a space. And so the temptation is to be like, I'm going to create a space for every topic that could potentially be talked about ever in the history of this community. And you add 20 spaces or 100 spaces, and now you've just created 100 empty restaurants. So what I recommend instead is to just have one thread at first, a general conversation. And maybe an opt off topic one if the, so you have general that's like on topic and then off topic for like memes and jokes or whatever. And then as you get too many posts about a certain thing, especially if that certain thing is of limited interest, right? So like for instance, I had a group on authormedia.social that were really, really into AI every ai tool for authors man they wanted to talk about it in my episodes about ai they would listen to them multiple times and Boy, howdy. Every time I do a survey, they're like, talk more about AI. I also had a group of people who didn't want to hear about AI at all. AI is evil. It's going to put us all out of a job. Please don't talk to me about AI. And so what I was able to do on authormedia.social, which runs on Circle, is create an AI board. And I took all of the posts from all the other boards and moved them over to the AI board. So immediately, it had content and conversation. And the people who don't want to hear about AI can go to that board and mute notifications. (laughs) And the people who are really into it can crank notifications to 11 and, like, as soon as somebody posts to AI, let me know about it. And I did the same with the job board, right? What's the thing you're normally not allowed to do on a Facebook group? Promote yourself. But there's certain people who want to promote themselves or want to hire somebody to do work. And so I'm able to have a space for that using a tool other than Facebook, <laughs> so that the people who want it. Right, if you're looking for work, you put the job board notification really high, and if you're not looking for work or not looking to hire somebody, you can mute that board as well. And, and so, be slow to add boards and or spaces or whatever they're called in whatever tool you're using. And if your the tool allows, move content into that space that's topically appropriate. And this is one of the things I like about Circle is that it's very easy to move a post from one area of the community to another area of the community
1: yeah kind of what you're getting at is these communities they're living breathing evolving things and and so like they're constantly changing which takes a lot of the pressure off because you don't have to make every decision correctly you can be wrong and like these decisions are reversible and so going back to your point around what happens if people come in and it's a ghost town or they're not interacting or whatever it is it actually all kind of starts before people get into the community by ensuring that you set the proper expectations with them and onboarding them. And, you know, I think it's something that people skip a lot, but there are really three things to nail with that process. And so uh, one of my favorite examples of this is a community, it's it's run by Pat Flynn from Smart Passive Income, which is a more kind of business-focused community. What they do is they actually bring people in in cohorts and they'll bring somebody in and they'll actually connect all the members together from that cohort, kind of like when you go to college and you have a freshman orientation so that you show up and it's a not all new for the first time. And so they'll let all those members meet each other, they'll set really great expectations, not just that, you know, hey, you're gonna get access to this, this and this, but also you're gonna come in and we expect you to contribute and here's how you're gonna contribute. And so the people aren't coming in passively. Those folks are coming in knowing that they're gonna to have to deliver too, which really helps with that empty room feeling in the early days. But you'll bring them in, let's say, and they might come in, you'll welcome them, you'll give them a walkthrough of all the things they should do. The first thing you need to do is give them a lay of the land, right, and kind of help them figure out how to navigate and all of that. The less spaces, is, the better. You know, you really wanna focus them. But those signature gatherings, you wanna show them how to go and get that value. The other thing is you want them to connect to another member right there, day one, and get that interaction. Because if you can create the like some type of relationship in that first 24 hours, it really reinforces the decision that they just made, right? Because that's what we're all worried about when we start a community is like, how are people gonna judge us, the quality of the community, the other people in it? I'm just getting started. And so if you can make that first relationship happen, in that first 24 hours, just a hello, some connection whatever, great. So that's the second thing. And then the third thing is some type of positive reinforcement. We really love to do things like basically having checklists of here are the eight things I want you to do. In the first 24 hours, I want you to go here, see this thing, but it could be I want you to send me a message after you go through the, the checklist. And then I'm going to send you a gift. And then I send them a gift. You can go then and introduce them to the community. A lot of people say, hey, go and introduce yourself. Go and write them an amazing introduction. Use the credibility that you have to influence them and how they're received. Really build them up. But if you can do the work that first 24 hours and set the expectation in terms of how they're going to contribute, all of a sudden, it makes everything else easier. Oh, in that following month two months when you're looking for people to contribute and actually play a role in those signature gatherings
0: i love the idea of giving your new members a scavenger hunt of sorts with a prize at the end right there's an exclusive short story in your fantasy world that only people who've completed this quest of this you know eight check boxes uh, get access to that short story and, th- and those steps cause them to be active in community it's interesting because we kind of. Accidentally figured this out ourselves. So the biggest way people join authormedia.socials with a course. And one of the homework assignments is to post an introduction and to comment on at least three other people's introductions. So people are yeah. right at the beginning, they're interacting with each other. And we really encourage folks comment onto others as you would have them comment onto you, which I found is actually all we've needed, really, in terms of, in terms of rules of the community, because that's worked yeah. really well, and it's it's very flexible. And if people come in as a cohort that can work, it's a little tricky. If, if you're writing fiction, I think it's easier if it's like education-based. And it's like we're all taking this class together. But it still could work, right? If you treat a launch team like a cohort, or I've got a new group of beta readers for this book that that acts a bit like a cohort. Or just a, hey, I, I'm hosting this online event, and everybody gets to come. We just had a cohort of all of the folks attending our in-person conference, and I created a space that was only available to conference attendees to connect with each other. And there was a lot of posts that were only interesting to them, right? It's like, hey, I'm getting to the airport at four o'clock. Who wants to split an Uber, right? Very interesting to people at the conference, very boring to everyone else. It was hidden. You didn't even get to see that if you weren't coming to the conference. But it caused a lot of people to, to meet each other both in person and in real life. And so think about ways that as you do in-person interactions with your readers, ways of connecting that real life with the online community. So what are some ways to incentivize somebody to join the community in the first place? The first thing is
1: you need to really be empathetic and put yourself honestly in the potential member's shoes. And you need to know what they're gonna get. In the community because they're joining the community, not for you. Even if it's because they want to be closer to you and your work, it's still not for you. It's for them. And so you need to, to know how you're going to deliver. Uh, and that, that comes back to mailing the signature gatherings, right? So it's an offer essentially is what it is. It's an offer. It, it getting that in front of them. We have over 10,000 communities on circle paying customers and everything from like big brands people like Oprah down to just individuals running amazing communities of a hundred people that are full-time livings for them. It's paid memberships, things like that. Even the biggest communities, they start the same way. They go out and they find third people. And, you know, a lot of us, especially those of us who kind of think of ourselves as marketers, and you may think yourself way more as an author than a marketer, but if you love marketing, you're tempted to go do the big launches and, and things like that. And get really fancy, and even the biggest ones, they don't start like that. At least that's not been my experience. They identify a list, like they literally, they write down on a pad of paper, they have a spreadsheet of here's my ideal members, like the people that I already know. They'll create a list of 30 people, and they'll look on you know LinkedIn for their contacts there, they'll look in in their cell phone, they'll look in their email exchanges, their colleagues, people that they're already in other groups with, people in groups offline. And then they'll reach out to them individually. They probably will even create a landing page for it or any fancy marketing for it. And then they'll hop on. They'll have a one-on-one conversation with those first 30 folks because it's not about going out and getting a whole lot of people to start, actually. And it's not about money. It's literally just proving to them, but also to yourself, that you can deliver value to 20 or 30 people because if you can, you've unlocked a whole new world where now you can go and figure out how to grow that community. So I would literally make a list and I would send 10 emails. I would see how people respond. I'd pitch them on it. And then based on, and by the way, I'd have calls, one-on-one calls I'd offer with every single one of them. And then I would reach out to the next 10 people. And then the next 10 people and the next 10 people until I have like 30 members. I'd invite them all in at the same time because we don't want to like have three people trickle in this week, two more the next week. I'd say, hey, we're probably going to start around this date. I'd be very upfront with them that this is brand new. I wouldn't try and pretend it's something bigger than it is. I'd use it as an advantage, the exclusivity, the newness of it, the high-touch experience of it, and that's how I would approach it.
0: When I was in business school, we learned about this fallacy that plagues a lot of businesses called the 1% of China problem. And how this looks in the business world is you've got some product, right? I've built a better mousetrap, and they have mice in China. And if we could sell just 1% of China, we would sell a 100 million mouse traps, and we'll be fabulously wealthy. And it sounds really easy, right? Well, sure, they have mice in China. 1%, that's very doable. 100 million, you get these big numbers. But that's not how the real world works. <laughs> you have to actually find the first person in China to buy your mousetrap. And suddenly, you're like, oh, I don't actually know anyone in China. I don't know how to speak Chinese. I don't know what the import rules are in China. I don't know what kind of mousetraps they already have in China. And once you start talking about real numbers rather than percentages, it forces you to see reality as it really is. And so, instead of saying, oh, I've got 10,000 people on my list, if I can get just 1% of them to sign up for the community, we'll have this great community of 100 people. Instead, I love the idea of starting with 30. That's enough to have a vibrant conversation, especially on a single board, especially if you've talked to them all individually. And those are your super fans. And those are the folks who don't need it to be a big party at first, right? When you're throwing a big party, you have a few friends who get there early to help you set up, right? And then as people come in, they start peeling off from setting up and start starting those conversations. So it's the same kind of experience in real life. And that's work, right? Some of you listening, when you heard Andy talking about having phone calls with 30 people one at a time, you're like, that's too much work. And it is work. And if it's too much work, remember, you don't have to have a tribe, right? You can have a platform where it's just you talking to your email list or or your podcast listeners and them talking to you. That's totally fine. That's what most authors do. But there is a magic in them talking to each other. And it becomes self-perpetuating. Once you reach, critical mass, the community starts conversations and concludes those conversations without you being a part. People will ask questions on authormedia.social and find the answer without me providing the answer. That's really satisfying to see that self-perpetuating work, but it does take some time to get there. When you start these communities, or maybe another obvious thing would be, oh, these
1: people in my community will buy my book. Well, they probably would have bought your book anyway, right? So it's often not about that obvious value that you get. Like we think about the why, why build the community? It's often about some value that you're unlocking that's a little bit different or less obvious, which is actually way more valuable than the obvious kind of directly monetized value that you get from a community. And that's the real why when you figure that out.
0: That's right. If you're wanting to get to know your Timothy better, having a community where you can listen to Timothy, which is the novel marketing speak for your target reader. It's a specific person or or your 30 Timothys in this case, being able to listen to them talk about your genre to each other, especially as you start conversations about other books that you didn't write because they may be hesitant to criticize you on your own community, right? And you may be hesitant to allow that to stick, right? So it hurts your feelings, you wanna delete the post, but that movie that just came out about dragon riding, they got the dragons all wrong and here's what they should have done, right? That's really valuable to listen to that and to hear, oh man, I loved how they handled the dragons in this way and and understanding what tropes resonate with your readers and what sorts of things they want to see and don't want to see can guide you in your next book so that your next book is exactly what they already want. And now you're creating the book that people already want rather than trying to change people into the kind of people who like the book you wrote, which doesn't work. You're failing to change your spouse. You will fail to change your reader. (laughs) (laughs) it's not our job to change people. It's our job to change the book to be the book that they want. So let's talk a little bit about retention. We talked a lot about getting people to want to join in the first place, but people come and people go. There's always a certain amount of churn to any sort of community. So what have you seen work in terms of getting people to want to stick around in a community?
1: We just did really in-depth research on our 10,000 communities that we had looking at Hundreds and hundreds of survey responses from the top communities we looked at the what we call platinum communities, which were the top 10 percent of communities in terms of engagement and retention. We looked at product usage data from 10,000 communities. One of the biggest kind of myths is that you have to keep people engaged actually for a really long time. Actually, if you look at a lot of the top communities they have a start date and an end date, which I thought was really interesting. It's take some pressure off again, right like mm-hmm. there are communities where communities built around this one kind of mission that you have. And by the way, it could be a book launch or something like that. But it could have a start and an end date where, hey, we're just gonna be all in for the next three, four months. Or it could be a cohort-based course where I'm just learning some skill. And by the way, after six weeks, the skill is gonna be over. It could be some challenge we're all doing or we're publishing a piece of content every single day. Doesn't have to be ongoing.
0: Or a reading challenge, right? We're gonna read twelve books this year and we're gonna read them together and we'll discuss them. And one of those books just happens to be your book, right? I love this idea of a beginning and end date and a challenge. Think and it can't I know some of you are like, Oh, these examples that Andy's sharing are nonfiction examples. They are fiction examples if you want them to be. (laughs) You can apply these to your novel if you want. So keep going. Yeah. So the term is generating
1: engagement is have a few great signature gatherings. But the next thing though is there's always a community kind of layer you can add to make it even more community first. So I'll give you an example here. So earlier on, you mentioned a great signature gathering, which is bringing in like an expert to teach something or something along those lines, which is awesome, really valuable. Also, just like everybody immediately gets the value of it. Like they understand it. They're excited for it. You can bring in somebody great, but there's a better, kind of more community-first approach to that, which is so maybe you say, Hey, community, we're going to actually vote on the topics here that we want to see. And you tell me, like, like, what do you want to see? Here's three or four different examples. Or if you even want to go one step further, let's actually nominate people in our community to come in and teach thing. We have a whole lot of value in here. That's the whole point of this thing, is like we get value from each other. So let's identify those three or four people and let's vote on it together. Let's get them on a the schedule. And a lot of times there's kind of a version of like commutifying it that you can do to these experiences that helps get people more active and engaged and keep them more retained. The other thing you do just very tactically, like if you're starting a community is badges. In the beginning, I thought they were, they're silly. Like I don't care about a badge or whatever it is. Actually, we found it's the complete opposite. People love getting recognition in the community for engaging. So positive reinforcement, giving them cool little badges on their profile, saying that they're top contributors or they're in like the gold level or whatever it is for doing different behaviors that you want to reinforce. Super valuable
0: and and worth doing. That's one of the reasons why I've stuck around with Circle, because I found the badges to be so useful. So one of the challenges that author communities have is that there's a certain kind of person who's drawn to author Facebook groups and author communities generally who's not a successful author but enjoys feeling like they're a successful author by spending a lot of time giving advice to other authors. Mm. So somebody asks a question and they're there with the advice. And some of that advice is good, but a lot of that advice is bad. And a lot of it is just noise. And so how do you sort who has credibility and expertise from people who don't? And so on the authormedia.social community, you get a badge for each course that you complete. So if you've been spending a lot of time educating yourself on publishing and marketing and writing, you know, all the things we offer at Author Media, you get all these badges next to your name. And so your post has more weight to it. (laughs) So you can like, okay, I got all of this advice and this person, wow, they're really educated. And it also creates an incentive to take more courses, right? If you came to the conference, you got the taco badge because the conference was in Austin and we had Austin tacos and it was great. Little things like that, that little gamification That goes all the way back to those forums I was doing in 2001, 2002, where you get, you know, a gold star for your 5,000th post. And that really does matter. It doesn't make sense that it matters, but it absolutely matters. People want to earn that. And I remember being so excited when I got my 1,000th post and my, I got a little badge or whatever. It was a great education. It was a great experience. And the more that you can add that, the better. And it's one of the nice things about platforms like Circle, which does cost money, right? A lot of you aren't ready for Circle right away. But as you're picking a platform, that sort of thing that seems silly really does make a difference and motivates people to stick around. Yeah, its status is what, what it is. Yeah. So we've talked about, you know, the good interactions, but we should at least mention trolls. What is your advice for dealing with toxic community members. This will probably
1: surprise you. And you may not even believe it. But the first year or so of Circle, we actually like
0: barely even had a moderation feature. I remember we had a spammer sneak in and there was no even Marcus spam. And I was like, first, because I had that experience, I was like, how is there no Marcus spam? And then I was like, wait, we've had a community here for a long time. And this is the first spam comment we ever received. And it wasn't even real spam, like from a bot. It was a human who'd gotten in and jumped through all the hoops. But yeah, I remember that.
1: Yeah. And and the reason is because people are much more (laughs) well-behaved on circle communities than they are on... Definitely on Facebook groups, probably even more so than than Discord as well. It's a community that you control. And a lot of times those people very thoughtfully, intentionally decided to join the community and they have great intentions. And so you'll find that actually a lot of the moderation issues that you anticipate never come to fruition. Uh, of course, if you have a larger community, you know, you'd spend a little bit of time moderating. But it tends to not be trolls as much as it's like, oh, this person posted in the wrong part of the community or, you know, this person, or they didn't see that this thing exists over here where they can get an answer. And so I really think moderation is actually a small issue for for most communities if you do the upfront being really clear about who the ICP is or Timothy or being really clear about setting expectations
0: and, and then doing proper onboarding. Well, and the friction, right? Signing up for an account, with Circle is more work. You have yeah. to create a username and a password. And a lot of trolls, that's just more work than they're willing to do when there's always another Facebook group that they can haunt. <laughs> and exactly. that friction of signing up, right? And some of you are like, I don't want to create another account and you still haven't signed up for Social. And that's fine, right? It, it does cause the community to be a little bit smaller. But I personally prefer a smaller, higher quality community with less drama than a really large community where everyone's at war with each other. And the other thing is that by not being a part of a bigger social network, the waves that are rolling through these other social networks don't splash into your community, right? So you're running Facebook group, and there's a presidential election going on, and there's these big waves of conversation related to the latest drama about the president, and that splashes into your community, and you have to really fight to keep that wave from rolling through. Whereas on Circle, you're more separated from that. It's a separate account. It's a separate website, and it's themed very differently, And, and all of those subtle psychological things just to keep that conversation from coming in. And I guess one metaphor is, do you talk to your doctor about politics, <laughs> right? It's like, <laughs> you go through this whole rigmarole of waiting in the waiting room and he's wearing a special costume. And it's like, you know, maybe for you're friends with him and you're at a dinner party, you're talking about politics. But when you're there in the room, you're talking about your medical issue because that's the purpose of the conversation. And this is a place where you have a medical conversation. And for some reason, that's the case on Circle Discord, I think, has less of that depending on your target. So if you're targeting older people that are unfamiliar with discord i don't think you have much of a problem with trolls if you're targeting like gamer dudes who are already in a dozen discords for them joining your discords really easy because they're already in a dozen other ones and they're more likely to bring their drama in (laughs) with them Uh, but I've, i've noticed that old people hate discord for no other reason than that they dislike the name just like they hated blogs when I started in this business 15 years ago. Older people didn't like the word blog and, and people disliked the word Discord. But Discord's still a much better platform than Facebook. Like, I know we oh, yeah. want to use Facebook. It's the worst. It's the absolute worst. Everything else is better than Facebook. Yeah, and it's your reputation. It's your brand. And we
1: started the first minute of, of our chat today was about control. And it's nice to be able to control the experience that that your members get. Because when they show up in that community, it's a representation of you and and your brand. And so it's good to own that.
0: Yeah. Now, you mentioned earlier that you have this guide of kind of like the best advice from the most successful course creators. Where can people get access to that guide if they want to learn from people who've been doing this and have learned lessons the hard way? You know what? Actually, my favorite part of it, it's not advice
1: and it's not opinions. Because sometimes... I just want to know, give me like the data. Let me come to my own conclusions. Show me the results. And so that's what we did. We basically looked at 10,000 communities on Circle. All of their actual product usage data, their engagement, their revenue, the size of the communities, how they're finding their members, all of that. And we said, let's take that. Let's analyze it. Of course, we'll anonymize all the data uh, and then come to a bunch of conclusions. The result is this, Circle Community Benchmark Report. It's 87 pages. It's beautifully designed, all free. And you can Google Circle Community Benchmark Report. we will find it right away.
0: We'll link to it in the show notes. You don't have to go to Google, we'll link directly to it. And it really is great. I downloaded it ahead of this interview and it's basically like a short book on community building. And it is really data-driven, which is nice. And it's nice to see what's working and see what's not working. And, you know, it's geared more towards nonfiction. But again, if you realize that your fantasy readers, your romance readers have needs, just like they do when they're a part of these nonfiction communities, there are ways that you can address and thrill them. It's just as applicable as you might think. And tribe building is not trendy right now. Authors are not trying to create tribes like they were in 2014, which means that this is an easier place to get started, especially for your genre. There's not as much competition for your genre, particularly your micro genre, right? There's places for fantasy readers to hang out, but is there a place for Dragon Rider readers to hang out, right? The more specific you get, the less competition there is and the more valuable the community is because just because somebody reads fantasy doesn't mean they read dragon writing books. And so work your way down, own that space. It's a great companion to a podcast. Although I find that it's hard to get podcast listeners to sign up for a community without... First, getting them to sign up for your email list. (laughs) So there's some of you listening and you've been listening to this podcast for years, but you haven't signed up for authormedia.social because you're always washing dishes and your hands are always wet. And by the time you're done with the dishes, you don't remember. And so I found that I have to do the work to get listeners onto the email list and then email them invites to the community. And maybe part of it is you can tell me this, uh, but the website is authormedia.social and not everyone knows that dot social is an extension, right? As opposed to dot com or dot org. And so sure. maybe that some people are just not finding it that way. <laughs>
1: Could be. It's natural though for people to to start listening and getting building a relationship, want to get onto the email list, then go over to the community. That's pretty common, you know? It makes makes sense. Well, and, and it's less of a commitment.
0: You know, creating a username and password, especially if you don't have a password manager, is like, oh, I got to remember another thing. And it's this big hassle, which, by the way, if that's you, get a password manager. <laughs> it will reduce your stress quite a bit. But, yeah, it is more of a commitment. And you got to earn it, right? And I have to do that with you as a listener and you as an author have to do that with your reader. Just because somebody read your book doesn't mean that they want to join your community. One final tip I will give, though, is that this is a good thing to include in your back matter of your book, potentially. I uh, would have the domain that you put in your book be something at your website.com. So if you want to join our community of readers, go to authorname.com forward slash community. That way you can point it at whatever platform you want. Because if, you know, if the URL changes in 20 years, that paper will still be there, but you can change where that uh, redirect points. I talked about this in other episodes, but this is the sort of thing you can invite. It's like, Hey, you want to learn more? You want to connect with other readers at the end of a book? That is another place where you can promote this in addition to promoting your email newsletter. Andy, any final tips or advice for an author who's thinking about taking their platform and upgrading it into a tribe? I just would want to encourage you to give it a shot. You can do
1: it. It is not easy. Uh, By the way, there are a lot of community platforms at the the couple that I know specifically that literally write things like create a community that runs itself. I want to, Caution you that that will never happen. It requires a lot of work, but man, the the folks who are putting it in we have ten thousand customers. Like the payoffs, the transformation that you can provide your members, your readers, your tribe—it is so worth it. It's really fulfilling when you build those up close and personal connections with with folks because it gives you the energy to keep going, and there's a lot of positive reinforcement in that. It just makes it all a lot more real. So if you're willing to do the work. Uh, which is a lot of work, but not an insurmountable, you know, amount of work. You can do this in probably 30 days, get your first, you know, 30 founding members, create a little community, have a few signature gatherings, give it a shot and and trust the process. Uh, and I think you'll be happy that you made the effort and got uncomfortable.
0: Well said. Remember, you only need 30 to get started. Andrew Guttersman, thank you so much for joining us today on the novel marketing podcast. Thank you, Thomas. This was so much fun. And
1: and by the way, just want to say so impressed by the staying power to have been like serving authors for this long is just amazing nobody does it that's really cool thank you
0: our featured patron today is michael fedor author of what it takes to kill a bull moose senator jackson piper lost re-election and assumed his political career was over But when the U.S. president appears to be rigging the election, Piper resurrects the bull moose party of Teddy Roosevelt to stop it. With its fast-paced plot and gripping suspense, this political thriller will keep you hooked until the very end. Michael Fedor, thank you so much for being a patron of the Novel Marketing Podcast. It is your support that keeps this podcast on the air. And I should point out that patrons get a special patrons lounge on AuthorMedia.social as well as a special badge. So if you have haven't yet checked out the patron lounge you can do that at patreon.com just log in to your account to the very first post in the novel marketing patreon has links So unlock your badge and unlock uh, your access to the patron lounge and uh, you can connect with all of the other wonderful patrons that help keep this podcast on the air the Novel Marketing Podcast is a production of AuthorMedia.com. Our guest today was Andrew Katorsman. Our producer is Laurie Christine. Audio engineering is by William Umstadt. The blog post is crafted by Shauna Lettler, and you can find that blog version of this episode, including links to everything we talked about, including that guide, that 87 page guide at AuthorMedia.com 405. I'm Thomas Umstead Jr. saying thank you for listening and live long and prosper.